You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Peter chapter 3 tonight, we're going to look at verse 7 in just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 3 and uh, verse number 7. And before we do that, uh, just a couple things of note. Um, one would be, uh, as you see, you guys will pull up the slide there. Uh, in just a couple of weeks, we have our night of worship, and we've asked you to partner with us in what we're calling Operation Orville, which is just getting a door knocker with the plan of salvation and um, information about our church and then there's a sticker on the front about uh, the fall night of worship that will be at Orr Park there right in downtown Orville. A few of you were asking about where that's at. If you just google the park, Orr Park, it's kind of in the main entrance there and then it might even if you google it, Schmidt Hall, S-C-H-M-I-D, uh, you'll be able to find that. So you at least can talk intelligently about that place if you're going to invite people to come there and meet with us. But uh, just wanted to share just a brief antidote. So we were out Friday, a few of us uh, just kind of getting the ball rolling and getting a feel of the town and, um, and uh, passing out uh, those flyers. We got, um, I don't know, at least several hundred doors done. We're just hanging them. We're not really trying to knock or engage unless they're there. But one of the men that was at the door that I talked to, um, he had just seen that morning one of our yard signs out. I said, hey, I think I saw something about that downtown. So it was cool that kind of one-two punch, Brother Moore's kind of overseeing that, and they, he and his boys had put out a bunch of yard signs. So just pray about that. Pray for that, and then if you would, just stop by. Andrew will be back at the table. He's kind of taking the lead on that, Brother Moore. And uh, you can pick up a sheet, and we'd ask you just to, uh, all you do is just grab some door knockers. You go to those doors, you just hang it. I mean, literally, that's it. I think any of us can do that. And I think maybe on the heels of our study this morning, um, there are folks who are going to go to hell from Orville, right? Just like there are any other city. So that's the heartbeat behind it. It's not trying to just build a, you know, hey, there's no good churches in Orville or there's, you know, nobody that's a heathen in Orville. Uh, it's neither of those extremes. We're just trying to do our part to spread the gospel. So if you partner with us in that and pick those up tonight as you leave and to help us get uh, going. The teens are going out on Thursday with Pastor Dave, and then we're going out on Fridays at 1 p.m. So if you feel like you need backup and you want to be associated with me and a few others of us guys, you can meet us here at the church at 1 p.m. Uh, on Fridays these next few weekends as well. We'd love to have your partnership in that. All right, and then the other thing would be this. Just make note of our anniversary Sunday uh, again and pray about that. Be here. Don't forget, Saturday, 530, we have our service here. And the meal to follow will be in the classroom wing. And again, you don't need to bring anything just with current kind of environment and climate as far as health things and otherwise. We're just going to host the meal as a church. But if you're willing to help in some way, you could see Michelle Hinkle or one of our other deacons' wives, uh, and they can help you with that as far as a spot maybe to either bring something, a tray of something, or just help serve that day. But if you're willing to do that, or you can see me afterwards tonight. All right, First Peter chapter 3, let's look at verse 7. We're going to look at the verses that follow this verse, but we'll read just verse 7 and then ask the Lord to help us in our study tonight. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them. Who's the them? Their wives. According to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So tonight we're continuing our study looking at the vow, a study on marital commitments, and obviously these are commitments that impact and help all of our relationships here would be the next one, commitment five. We have two left. Here's five. We will deal with our differences with appreciation and grace. And I'm sure you don't have any differences in your marriage, but at least for me, I need this tonight, all right, uh, as I try to get on my wife's page. No, I'm just kidding. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privileges to be here tonight. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts and lives. Thank you for folks who were here this morning that heard the gospel and the sobering realities of hell and those that tuned in online and we just pray that your word would go forth with power and that it would accomplish uh, your purpose in each heart. Give us, Lord, as, as excuse me, believers, a greater sense of and a burden for the lost as we remember um, not just the temporal effects of a lack of faith in you, but the eternal ones. And I pray that it would light a fire in our souls, uh, even tonight and this week, as we seek to reach out, uh, not just to Orville, but to the places we will work and go to school and live next to all of these different relationships that you have 
handpick for us to be light and salt for you. Pray you bless our, our study tonight as we look at how um, our differences in marriage are um, really an opportunity and not a liability, and to help us to see them through the lens of your word and your spirit. Bless our time tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I don't know how many of our guys are sports fans or not. A few of you ladies probably get just worn out on everything that we uh, get into as uh, men. Uh, Heidi, sometimes you just get so tired of it's just from one sport to the next. She used to think, well, that season is over, and, and there's always an overlap. The next season of whatever sport has already started, and my boys are very competitive, and and they like sports. I don't know where they got that from, but uh, they enjoy that. And anyway, so the other day, I don't know, I was going back through kind of just thinking of differences and illustrations of it. Any of you remember a commercial? Uh, there was a series of commercials, the guys would remember this, where basically the theme was only because of sports is this true. Like only because of sports would this bother you or excite you. And if it weren't for sports, it wouldn't make an impact. And this one is the one that came to my mind as we gear up for this fall. Do you guys remember this commercial as we're studying on marriage? So the camera angle actually starts behind this couple. So they're sitting on a couch and you just see, oh, nice couple. They're in love and they're, they're just there. And, and then as the camera starts to go around the couch to the front, you see the sweatshirts they're wearing. And then here's the caption. Only because of sports is this disgusting. Only because of sports. Without sports, they're just, you know, a red and a blue shirt with some letters on it, or sweatshirt with some letters on them. Only because of sports uh, is this disgusting. Can I say to you tonight, as it relates to marriage, we do say this all the time, don't we? Opposites attract, right? Don't we say that? Um, but I think we, we, we say that, but then we resent and we chafe the differences between us uh, and our respective spouses. And so, uh, the thought tonight is this, the sooner that we agreeably come to terms with the fact that our marriage will never reach its full potential until we embrace those differences and strive to be complementary in those differences, uh, we cannot achieve all that God intends with our marriage. Um, one author said this, what counts in making a happy marriage is not so much how compatible you are, but how you deal with incompatibility. And I think it's just a matter of just coming to terms with that. You know, I, I hear all the time, irreconcilable differences, or we're just incompatible. We just don't, we don't seem to mesh. Well, welcome to marriage. It's, it's part of marriage. So it's not about being compatible as much as how we deal with where we are, quote unquote, incompatible. So the question tonight is this, in a day where irreconcilable differences are tolerated or even terminated, how do we instead see them and steward them as glorious gifts uh, from God. So here's what I want to challenge you with tonight, and then one packet is our differences are actually gifts from God. The fact your spouse is different than you is one of God's richest blessings to you. If you'll see it through that lens and you'll appreciate it uh, as God has instructed. All right, so let's talk about two attitudes or mindsets we should have toward differences. Number one, there should be a healthy appreciation toward differences. All right, we're going to come back to 1 Peter 3. Let's go back to earlier in the, in the New Testament to Acts chapter number 17. Acts 17. And we're going to look at a few principles that jump out of Paul's sermon on Mars Hill, which, by the way, the context was not marriage, okay? I'll be, I'll be up front with you on that. But there's some theological truths that he teaches here um, that help us to navigate the differences in marriage with a healthy sense of appreciation. Uh, and so the first sub-point there under appreciation toward differences, number one, we need appreciative trust uh, in our marriage. We need a greater sense of appreciative trust. Um, and so we'll look at this text in just a moment, but I've been thinking about this as it relates to marriage, um, and specifically in my own marriage, what I'm learning as well as what I observe in those that God gives me the privilege to counsel and to pastor and just to be on the inside sometimes of the struggles in marriage that truly marriage is about facing your fears and your insecurities together. A lot of what hinders marriage is that we have these fears and insecurities, but we're only dealing with them in a private manner. Um, things in our past, we were mistreated, or we have a certain identity, maybe challenges, but we don't lean into each other. We don't trust each other enough uh, to be able to deal with those fears and insecurities. 
Now, can I say this before you think, well, I don't know if I can trust my spouse with that, that vulnerability or that openness or whatever the case may be. Ultimately, our trust levels in marriage are low, especially when our differences collide, not because we're struggling with trust toward our spouse or them not being trustworthy. Listen to me, it's because we don't trust God. So when I say appreciative trust, I'm not saying that we that we just trust based on our spouses earning that trust or keeping that trust as much as our faith being in God. Now, look back at the text here in verse 22 and 23. And again, we're not going to unpack this at great length, but just some of the the theological ramifications of, of where differences in marriage can be dealt with from a biblical perspective. In verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things... You're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Now, the text we're going to look at tonight, where there are a few differences between Paul and these Gentiles. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? He was a Jew of Jews. And so what Paul does is he stands here on Mars Hill and he looks around. Athens was known. They had so many idols that at least it was touted there were more idols than people in Athens. The city was just inundated with idolatry and and different forms of worship, emphasis on the word different. So as Paul stands here as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, can you imagine him trying to think, how do I connect with this, this audience? What do I say? His heart was moved and his lips began to move. And, and so Paul looks here for some common ground or common interest to build a foundation upon which he can preach uh, Jesus Christ. And so as he looks at the, the landscape of idolatry before him, he, he remembers an inscription he had seen that they were familiar with to the unknown God. And he begins to turn their well-meaning, maybe even religious fervor and piety in a singular direction to, to, toward the one true God that they were missing in the midst of all of their religious activity. And I just want to challenge us tonight, much of the differences in any relationship, including our marriage, is are we really trusting and worshiping and have faith in the same God? A God that, that unifies us and yet allows us not to practice uniformity, that we can be different and yet have a singular focus uh, toward the Lord. So let me give you a few subpoints underneath of that that I think will help us grow in appreciation toward our spouse that is so different from us. Number one, believe that God is in absolute control of the details of your life. All right, how we mismanage differences is bigger than just emotional dysfunction or we just can't see eye to eye. It's theological. Here it is. Believe that God is in absolute control of the details of your life. Now go on to verse 24. And Paul begins to unpack this. He's building a a connection with these that he had so much uh, not in common with. God, verse 24, that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Go to the end of verse 26. And had determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. Do you believe tonight that God is in control of every detail of your life? Do you believe that? Do you also believe that God is in control of every detail of your spouse? And here's where I bring that to application as it relates to our marriage. Your spouse's background, God has a unique and a primary role in all of those details. Their religious background, their familial background, the heart-wrenching moments that they've been through, the things that physiologically or emotionally are just a part of who they are. God is a part of that. God is intricately involved in the details of life. He's in control of everything we experience, everything culturally, everything family-wise that influences, shapes us, how we desire things, how we think about things, how we act, how we respond. And so God is not just in bringing you together. This is a key thought tonight. God did not just cause you to intersect with your spouse. He also created a story before you intersected, and there are factors still that are part of your spouse are his handiwork. And so this trust of God says, God, I trust you to give me the spouse that I have with all of the challenges and, and the blessings that are afforded me in that relationship. And so we have to start with a belief, as Paul says to these people that knew not this God, God is in control of every detail of life. 
All right, go back to verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needeth anything. Seeing, notice this, key phrase here, seeing that he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Number two, again, these are just some kind of takeaways from the theological text that we see before us. Number two, believe that God has a purpose in the challenges of your marriage, the emphasis upon the word purpose. Believe that God has a purpose in the challenges of your marriage. And see there at the end of verse 25, he says, he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So even if, all, if it's all things, then it's all things. That includes our purpose. He's the one that gives each thing, relationship and personality and the unique combinations of all of that, its purpose. He is the source of all things. And so your differences and difficulties that, that they provide in your marriage are not a sign that God has forgotten you or been unfaithful to, your, to you. Your difficulties, even with your differences, are not interruptions to his plan for your marriage. They're a part of it. That struck me as I was looking at it, because I don't know about you, sometimes it's, I just wish we could all get along, whether that's in the church setting or my, my own home or extended family especially, and I just wish we, we just naturally saw things the same way. Our difficulties, even in those differences, is not an interruption of his plan. They're a part of his plan. Do you trust God enough to trust that he has a purpose in those challenges? All right, thirdly, go to verse 26, the beginning. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in the face of the earth. Hath made of one blood all nations of men. Number three, believe that God blesses, not burdens our marriage with its differences. God blesses, not burdens our marriage with differences. Um, the differences between us are actually a part of and a manifestation of God's grace and mercy. He has made us one blood, so there's a singular race, but then notice the differences. All nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth. He's put us each in a unique place. Uh, we have unique perspectives, and this is not a burden. This is a blessing. Can you imagine, just by way of illustration, if God just made the whole world green or the whole world blue and you walk out and everything is, the, it's a monochrome, chromic, chromatic world? Aren't you glad for the very, the variety of God's creation? Uh, and I think sometimes we resent, listen to me, the variety, even within our own relationships, that everybody's unique. And it's like we, we resent that. God, why isn't everybody like me? Okay, do you really think the world would be better if everybody was just like you? Probably you tempted to say that. But aren't you glad for the variety even in this room? A few of you are nodding your head when I ask you that question. It, the variety is, is, is the glory of God's creation. It, 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 and so in marriage, instead of chafing under that, may we instead celebrate that and appreciate what God has done. So we see Paul here saying, I'm not necessarily just like you, but we are one race. We're one blood, and, and God has made us and then uniquely positioned us in our area of the world. And so this is also applicable in marriage. All right, verse 27 that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him. This is one of my favorite verses in Paul's preaching, the text, the few texts we have of him preaching publicly, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find them. Notice this, though he be not far from every one of us. Lastly, here in this section, believe that God is present with you in the struggles of marriage. Believe that God is present with you. Paul is arguing here that God's absolute rule over the intimate details of our lives don't make him distant and unapproachable, like some great chess player in the sky. In fact, Paul is actually presenting the opposite here. God is in the middle of the details of every relationship, including our marriage. He is near. He is engaged. Not only has God determined the situations and relationships in which you live, but he is with you in them. Wouldn't that be... God could still be gracious and just say, okay, you're stuck now with this lot or this responsibility in life, this relationship. But God says, not only am I going to put you there, I'm going to be there with you in that. And so Paul here says, God is nigh to us. God is close to us if we will but feel after him. So here's the question by way of application, and we'll move on. Are you willing to trust and not question and doubt a God who has handpicked a spouse for you that is uncomfortably different than you? Here it is, until you remove the doubt you have toward God, you will continue to be divided with your spouse. 
um, in whatever other relationship, respectively, that may apply to your heart and life tonight. Until you stop doubting God, you will never have unity with that person. Do you trust Him? Do you yield to Him in that relationship? All right, now let's talk about a few, number two. So we have, first of all, appreciative uh, trust. Now let's talk about appreciative strategy. So what I did in each of these two texts we're looking at tonight is we break down the text for a moment, or at least the implications of it as it relates to marriage. Now let's talk about specific strategy. Pastor, how do I, and me asking you, how do we uh, have the right strategy in our relationship that is so different, that each of us are so different? Um, the other day I, heard, I was reminded of a story Hyde and I were talking about. We have folks that we know, I think Brother Yoder may know them too, um, that they both have um, sleep apnea. They have, especially when they're sleeping, they struggle with breathing instead of on CPAP machines, you know what I mean by that? Um, and one of the problems that they have, you know, those have hoses and cords and things, right? You know, is they, they both have these, they wear at night, and because of the, their breathing, sometimes especially when they're breathing more shallowly, they get almost violent. So they're sleeping in a bed together with all these hoses and straps and, you know, masks, and they wake up in the morning, and it looks like they just wrestled all night. Like it's just this crazy entangled mess of hoses and, and, and cords and things. And so they, they've had to develop some strategies of how to deal with that kind of subconscious tension in their relationship uh, that at least they claim. I mean, you could probably get a few swings in and just claim it was just sleep apnea, you know, just bam, you know, and just kind of pass it off as a, so, oh, I don't know, I don't know how you got that bruise, you know, or whatever, you know, just, and then the next night, the other person has the bruise. It's all just happening. But anyway, the idea of strategy. Uh, and I think many times the reason we don't deal with difference as well as we just on-the-fly process them. I want to give you some things to maybe think on that will help you as you approach another week with your spouse who doesn't see this week just how you do and to see it through the lens and with a strategy that God can bless and use. All right, a few points under that. Number one, celebrate your creator. Celebrate your creator. And this point came from an article I was reading. The author said, the more you look at your spouse and see the imprint of God's fingers and are amazed, the more you will be able to resist the temptation to try to remake him or her in your own image. The more you see divine beauty and divine glory and the differences between you, the less you will be irritated by them. Here's the bottom line, he says, the more you look at your husband or wife and honor God as creator, the more you will tend to esteem and appreciate the person you live with who is so incredibly different from you. That's the mindset. Man, God, you made them, and, and, and it's different than me, and I'm going to view that through the lens of worship and gratitude instead of resentment. Celebrate uh, what your Creator has made. Number two, refuse to see the differences. This is a key one tonight. Refuse to see these differences as right or wrong. Um, man, this is a hard one. Uh, I try to practice what I preach, and I have to admit this one is hard for me, both in my relationship with Heidi, but also just in leadership and as a dad and other uh, relationships that God has in my life, because I tend to view everything as my way is right. And if you don't agree with that, we both know you're wrong. That's just, that's just how I'm wired. I tend to, to feel that way about it. And I think many times, if someone is not like us, we tend to convey that even subtly as you're wrong. Uh, and many times we create issues, we create tension that is unnecessary instead of just, you're different than me, and that's okay. Again, within the confines of Scripture, we're not subscribing to that we advocate for something that is truly wrong, but when it's just a different thing or a different perspective, may we be careful not to convey we view us as right and them as wrong. When you begin to think and act as though who you are and your hardwiring makes you better, more mature, or more righteous than your spouse, you will always respond and, and act in ways that are disrespectful. You will demean them. Um, in every relationship, one of you is stronger than the other, spiritually maybe, or just personality-wise. Be very careful not to let that come across if that is you uh, in a way that is demeaning or disrespectful. You are not the end-all. Uh, you're not always right, and your way is not the only right way. All right, thirdly, determine to respond to differences with respect. So this would kind of be the positive side of the same coin. Determine to respond to differences with uh, respect. 
Responses are more about your relationship with God when you respond to these differences than they really are about your relationship to your wife. Um, When your husband or wife makes a choice that's different than you, ultimately your issue is not with them, it's with God. I do remind you, I know we're in a fallen condition, but God, when he created everything, including Eve and including Adam, he said it was what? It was very good. Um, And so we have to be careful not to diminish or to disrespect what God sees as good, something that he values and treasures. It is hurtful to your spouse, especially when you disrespect them for things they did not choose. Let's be honest, some of the things that are weaknesses of your spouse are just who they are, right? Living in a fallen world and things others have done to them or things they've been through are just frailties. And we we hold that over someone, especially our spouse, to the detriment of that relationship and of them. Or we reject them or push them away for things they can't change. So either they didn't generate it or they can't change that and we just keep chafing under it and reminding them of what an irritant it is what an inconvenience it is to our own life. Uh, So may we view these differences as even in our fallen condition, expressions of God's artistry, his creative uh, range that he is able to make different people, not just men, not just women, uh, but both, and each with their unique contributions. All right, a couple more here, and we'll move to our second point. Learn, number four, learn where your differences call you to work, uh, to the work of unification. Learn where your differences call you to the work of unification. By that I mean the differences are really the prime spots of your relationship. Like we tend to rally around similarities. Well, we just click in this area. We like this same thing. That, that's, that's a bonus. That's a blessing of the relationship. But the call to unity is not a call to just get along where we already have a tendency for that. The call to unity is we've got to work through this. We've got to work despite this. We've got to work through this um, to develop unity. And so where you have a difference with your spouse, that is a place for you to be working and being unified. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to be disunified there. Instead of, Lord, we're, we're not the same in this area. We don't see this the same way. This is a place you've called us. To, we're married. This is your will for us, whether we like it or not. And so it's a call to unification. In fact, one author I was reading said this, the greatest mutual benefit comes from our place of biggest difference. You may want to write that down and chew on that. The greatest mutual benefit comes from our place of biggest difference. If I were to say to you, tell me where you have most benefited from your marriage. All right, I'll say it one more time. The greatest mutual benefit comes from our place of biggest difference. The things in your marriage that have made the biggest difference and the ones that will will always be the places where you didn't initially see to eye to eye or you continue to struggle to see eye to eye in that area because that's where it's challenging you and it's, you're challenging them. If we're just zombies or we're just robots and we're just mass produced and we all just, nat- where is even the relationship in that? And same with friendships and other relationships we have, even with your extended family, uh, would you realize that the greatest mutual benefit comes in the very place that we often have the biggest differences? Don't chafe under that. See it as a call to work toward unification. All right, and then the last one here, admit where these differences challenge you to grow. So admit where these, challenges, uh, where these differences challenge you to grow. Um, the other day I read a, a submission by a wife to Reader's Digest. Uh, she said this. This cracks me up. You may think this is a dump. Some of you have the same great sense of humor as I do, but this cracks me up. I laughed out loud when I read this in my study the other day. Uh, wife submitted, my husband talks in his sleep. Unfortunately, he also snores. So I sometimes give him the wifely elbow. What he demanded one night, still mostly asleep. I said, turn over, you're snoring. He did as instructed, and while doing so, muttered, that's nothing, you should hear my wife snore. That's what he said as she rolled him over. Uh, that just poke, you know, the poke in the side, and then what that pulls out of you. Um, our differences uh, are what challenge us to grow. Here's my loving challenge to you tonight. The reason we hate the differences in our marriage is because we don't want to grow. We, 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 we resist. It's not the difference. It's what that's going to challenge me to change and grow in. That's often what limits the relationship, hinders the marriage from being all that it should be. Admit 
where these differences challenge you to grow. Marital differences don't only reflect God's glory, as we've already talked about briefly, and His creative purpose. They are also for our good to help us change and grow. So here's the question tonight. Are you going to live in a reactive mode to the differences embedded in your spouse by God Himself, or are you going to strategically align with the Creator and His purpose in those differences? Um, And and I give you kind of this final illustration under our first point. Um, I talked about God not creating the whole world green or blue. Someone was writing this. They said, celebrating the Creator or rejoicing in what God has done gives us hope. God places lilies next to rocks. He places trees next to streams. He causes bright sun to follow a dark night. He makes the muscles of a lion and the delicacy of the wing of a hummingbird. One way, listen to this, one way God establishes beauty is by putting things that are different next to each other. Isn't this exactly what God does in marriage? He puts very different people next to each other. This is how he establishes the beauty of marriage. The moon would not be so striking if it was hung in a white sky. In the same way, the striking beauty of a marriage uh, is when two very different people learn to celebrate and benefit from their differences and to be protected from their weaknesses by being sheltered by the other's strength. Isn't that a beautiful analogy? God God is most creative and he creates the most beauty by putting different things next to each other. And we think we'd win if our spouse was just like us. God knows a better way and may we be willing to trust him and appreciate those differences. All right, now let's go back to 1 Peter 3 and let's spend a few minutes here in the time we have left. 1 Peter chapter 3, and if you would please, let's pick up again in verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 7, and I ducked on this passage a few months ago. I asked Brother Yoder to teach on this, on submission, um, and some of the text related to it. Um, but uh, we're going to look at, again, just a couple of verses, specifically more as it relates to the husband and the text that follows. First uh, Peter chapter 3, and verse number 7. All right, before we look at that, so number 2, there's appreciation toward differences. Number 2, there is graciousness toward differences. Heidi and I have a difference of perspective on speed, like how we drive. I don't know if that's an issue for you all, even coming to church. I watch some of you, it's always the wife that drives or the husband that drives, and, and I won't ask you the backstory of that. Uh, I'm sure there are various reasons for that. But for me, she views the fact I tend to brake too slowly, all right? So if there's someone slowing down or she thinks is going to slow down, and it tends to go like this. She panics, and so she touches my arm, and then I just lock them up because I'm, you know, I'm paying attention, but she must see something I don't. I still haven't learned that. So then I just, you know, and I'm like 2,000 yards from whatever she's worried about, you know, and look like, you know, what's up with this guy, you know? Uh, she also will honk the horn when she's in the passenger seat when I'm driving when someone misbehaves. It's like they're not looking at you now. They're looking at me. Uh, for me, the speed issue is she will... My wife will actually, she will just intermittently slow down and speed up. And I look around like nothing changed. Like she'll just slow and then speed back up. And there's no traffic change. There's no, it just, it just happened, you know. And so anyway, we have these differences that we have to, to be more gracious. And I, I've learned this. I just, if I can't say anything good, I just don't say anything. And, and I think my wife has learned that as well. But just, yeah, just being, just being gracious toward one another in these kind of differences. Um, so we talked about appreciation. That's more the internal, all right? And I think we have to own that, where we are resentful or bitter or judgy toward our spouse where they're different. This part would deal more with the external. So I think some of us, the issue is inside, we chafe under the differences. But then here would be the proactive. Are we like um, overtly expressing, I appreciate the differences? And are we conveying that? And that's kind of the, the thrust here in 1 Peter chapter 3, is that there's an external or a tangible demonstrative uh, expression of uh, this uh, graciousness. All right, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and again, verse 7. After telling the wives to be in subjection to their husbands, he then says in verse 7, Likewise, that key word in this text, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs, notice this, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. All right, so let's talk about two uh, components of this graciousness. First of all, gracious management. Oop, got ahead of myself there. Gracious management is there in your notes, now on the slide. Managing uh, this graciousness in a way that pleases and honors the Lord. 
Let's talk about a couple things as it relates to that. Number one, manage what is a calling to gender deference. Not difference, deference. Manage what is a calling by God to gender deference. And we see this word knowledge that's used here. Did you see that? Dwell with them according to knowledge or in an understanding way. It's interesting in Scripture, the same word that's used here, dwell with them in knowledge, is the same word that's used, for example, Joseph knew not his wife. Um, the word know here is a reference to the marriage act um, and the, all the intimacies that go with that, by the way, in which the differences of gender are actually valued, right? They contribute to that uh, intimate moment between husband and wife. And so the language is the same here. And notice that Paul says, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor. Notice this, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And that's not lesser, that's a fine china kind of thing. Their physical frame, their emotional frame, it, it, is, it, is, it is to be treasured, it is to be valued, it is different than you men. You need to know what it is and you need to, to understand it and to live with them in light of that knowledge. And so we see this deference that's being given that Peter admonishes uh, these men. Peter had his own wife, right? His mother-in-law was healed by Jesus, and so he was seeking to admonish them to do the same thing that he was striving to do, practicing gender deference. Have you really thought about this, what it's like for your spouse to live with the differences that they have? Have you thought about that, and, have you, and do you regularly convey deference to that, understanding toward that? They're not living in the same body that you are. They're not living with the same background that you have. They have unique things that make up who they are and where they're headed. And we need to practice deference toward one another, whether that be male or female or our background, things that make us uniquely who we are. There ought to be a sense of deference. And notice the end of verse 7, Peter builds it upon these motivations. Why would a husband do this? Why would we each do this toward one another? He says being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. What is the motivation? Uh, it's first to remind the husbands that they and their wives are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Secondly, that they would steward well the prayer potential of that relationship, praying together. Um, one thing I would challenge you with uh, this evening would be this, how often are you praying with your spouse? Um, not the token before meals or we're dozing off at night, but there's meaningful prayer uh, that men, you're comfortable praying in front of your wife and vice versa. And a relationship's health is often dictated or indicated by how much you pray together. If your relationship was only how much prayer you share together, how much relationship do you have left? Um, I think often our prayer between just the two of us is not everything uh, that it should be. I was reading the other day in a book uh, on just thought, the power of the brain and the mind and winning the war in our minds. And the author said this, this is interesting. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can actually change the brain in such a way that it can be measured on a brain scan. Our, our thinking, our, our processing of things, this prayer, and especially as we share prayer together, it affects how we think about our spouse and how they think about us and how we both think about uh, our God. One commentator said this in relation to verse 7, the size of an injured wife come between a husband's prayers and God's hearing. Like our, our horizontal relationships do affect our vertical relationship with God. And so we must manage this, these differences with deference so that also there is this uh, communion with God that is growing. All right, verse 8. Finally, so we're going to break down these next couple of verses. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love is brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. We see also in this spirit of deference that the best way to handle differences uh, is, is to be compassionate, the idea of suffering with differences, suffering with them. Um, you've probably heard this before because I've, I've had to learn this as a pastor and as a husband and dad and other areas that I have relationships. Someone said this, in fundamentals, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in everything, what? Love. 
Uh, and so we need to be expressing that to one another. Yeah, in the fundamentals of the faith, we must have unity and non-essentials. We give each other room with liberty. And lastly, in everything, there's always love. We're always loving. We're always loving. We're always loving. That's how we give deference to a spouse is so different from us. And have you ever seen, I'm thinking of the cover of the book, uh, Men Are From Mars and Women Are For Where From Where? Venus. Uh, by John Gray. I can see the picture, the front of that book, the, the image on the front of that, the original, uh, the first publication of that book. Can I just say to you sometime, and I don't agree with that, by the way, it, we are very different, but men are not from Mars and women are not from Venus. We're both from where? We're from God. God made both of us. Therefore, and I've told you this a thousand times if you've been here for any length of time, God's will is never mutually exclusive. If he made a man and he made a woman and he said they can do it together, we can. (laughs) But we have to do it his way, and it has to be with this tone of deference. Gender distinctions are good and complementary when we're aligned with God's word. All right, verse 9. Now he breaks into some of the negative things we tend to be prone to in the midst of differences between us and brethren, not just at large, but in our own home and marriage, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. All right, number two, jot this down. So manage what is a calling to gender deference. Number two, manage what is a calling to verbal restraint. So our calling, this management with grace of these differences, there's first deference. Number two, there is verbal uh, restraint. Where we tend to get ourselves in trouble is we feel like if we have a difference in our marriage, we have the right to then dialogue. And by dialogue, it's not in a friendly manner or a gracious manner. We begin to lob these verbal assaults and these reactions toward the other person. I would just remind you, as we just studied through 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a group that's dealing with severe persecution. And if Peter can admonish these believers to not render evil for evil, and it's not she looked at me wrong or he forgot whatever that he said he was going to do. We're talking outright persecution. If Peter could say not rendering evil for evil, then we in our own marriage, especially if we're married to a believer, there's no reason that we can't take these same admonitions to heart. As Christians, we're called not to react or to respond. We're called to bless. We're called to give uh, to them the gift of verbal restraint. And unfortunately, we sabotage the, share, sabotage the shared blessing that he talks about at the end of verse 9. You should inherit a blessing. We, we, we undercut that shared blessing in our marriage that we could receive when we verbally lash out at one another or we lash out at someone else for which uh, we have a difference. And so may we be willing to practice verbal restraint. Verse 10, he goes on, For he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. The one who wishes to enjoy life, and not as in John where it says, you know, don't love your own life. It's not talking about that. It's saying just live life the way God intended. If you want to do so, uh, you have to refrain your lips from speaking evil. Um, one of the things that scares me or concerns me is the things is not just what we say, but how we say it behind closed doors. Um, what, what's the tone in your home? What's the tone, especially not just when the, door clo- the front door closes and the kids are a part of it, but then you retreat to the bedroom or you retreat to some, or it's in another setting and just you and your spouse, and maybe it's through text or whatever the thing is, but passive aggressiveness and sarcasm and and outright just being mean to one another in a verbal way. Uh, We are greatly hindering our marriage and its potential when we don't practice verbal restraint. As goes the mouth, so goes the marriage. Just like James talks about, it's it's a little member, right? It's just a bridle, it's just a rudder, but it turns the whole horse, it turns the whole boat. And what's being said between you and your spouse does matter. Not just when you disagree, But when you have a major difference, is your mouth still in restraint? I think there are things you should just say. This is just me kind of talking out loud, thinking out loud. There are things I will never say. Divorce, for example. It's it's not even the D word. It's the D word. It's not on the table. And I'm not going to attack them in this way. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to threaten this. I'm not going to do this. Put some things out of bounds that keep your marriage on track on the verbal front. As goes the mouth 
of you and your spouse, so goes your marriage. All right, verse 11. Let him eschew evil or despise, hate, revile it. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Number three, manage what is a calling to pursue peace. Manage a calling to pursue peace. So he's not just talking about speech, but now even our deeds, that our deeds need to be promoting peace. There are times where we need to stand against evil, but I think as it relates to our marriage, this would be true. Sometimes evil done by our spouse when they're down, they're tired, they're, they're just edgy, they're fearful, whatever the specific thing, sometimes the best thing we can do is to provide no opposition to that evil. Uh, as he says here, notice, let him eschew evil and do good, is to either do something positive in response to that, what they're doing or saying, or do nothing at all. Often the best way to kill evil is to provide no obstacle or resistance to it. Its sting is withdrawn. It meets no opponent. It's almost like at some point that person is just swinging in the air. There's nothing or no one that is reacting back to them. Sometimes that's the greatest gift that we can give to our spouse and marriage is to simply seek peace no matter what mood they're in or not in. And so we need to be faithful in that. Manage what is a calling to pursue, pursue peace. All right, and then lastly, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Lastly, manage what is a calling to vertical alignment. Vertical alignment. We must align with God. We must make sure that our marriage is aligned with God as well. And what's convicting to me is God sees us, notice, but his face is against them that do evil. It is primarily referring to the persecutors of God's people, but evil is evil, right? God will withstand anyone who is aligned with evil. He will resist that. He will provide fiction, uh, friction to that wherever he finds it, including whether it's in the home or marriage of a saved person or a lost person. He is our enemy. He is our foe when we align against him. May we be in line with God. The most important question is not how do we get aligned as spouses. The most important question is are we aligned with or against God? I've just found when two people are striving to be aligned with God, they tend to get along better. They tend to move in the same direction. And so it's not about getting them on your page or, or you getting uh, on their page. Are we on the Lord's page? So the question would be, what if instead of resisting the differences in your marriage, you determined to graciously harness the God-intended potential in them? Would you align with God, the God who created the differences? Would you align with Him to do things the right way? All right, let's spend a few minutes in conclusion in gracious strategy. Number two, so we talked about managing things as 1 Peter gives us, chapter 3. What now is our practical strategy? Let me give you a few things as we finish. Number one, face reality face reality. You and I need to own where our differences are not being managed properly. We can't be in denial. We can't just hope they'll go away or let's wait a little longer to work on them. We have to be willing to face reality. Um, I heard this the other day. I think this is so good. The honesty of the Bible is not softened by its hope and the hope of the Bible is not negated by its honesty. Can I read that again? The honesty of the Bible is not softened by its hope, and the hope of the Bible is not negated by its honesty. Basically, here it is. You can bring it all into the light with the Word of God and still have hope. And you don't have to keep it in the darkness to have hope. Just, just bring it out. Be honest. Own where your relationship is at. Own where maybe not just your marriage, but other relationships are not what they should be. Face reality. Bring it into the light, even if it's kicking and screaming, and let God's truth and spirit help you grow in this area where differences are being misstewarded. All right, number two, deal honestly with your anger. Uh, one of the main manifestations of mismanaging our differences is we, are, we get angry. You ever struggle with that? Am I the only one in the room that struggles with that? Differences uh, tend to produce the, the split Hair trigger reaction often moves in the direction of anger. Um, I heard the other day someone was describing, uh, they said this, you know your wife is angry because there are more pot and pan percussion than normal. Have you ever had this, guys? And you can sense, I'm, I'm flying in the dark here, but she's not happy with me. 
He says, so you go into the kitchen and ask her what is wrong, maybe rather timidly, but she replies rather sharply, nothing's wrong. You respond, honey, I think you're angry about something. Probably not the right response. So she responds, I'm not angry. It makes me so mad when you accuse me of being angry. That was her response. I'm just trying to get dinner on the table. Be helpful if you leave me alone or let me do what I need to do. You say, I think we need to talk. To which she replies as she turns her back on you, you don't even want to talk to me right now. That's, you don't even want to do that. Have you ever had that? Or you're the one. It's not just the ladies but us guys. Dealing honestly with anger. Being willing to own where we are at fault in that area. You and I need to admit and confess where our hearts have been irritated, impatient, angry, and we need to own the wrong things that we've done and said. And if you're not willing to do that, there's no way forward. I, I regularly hear this, this testimony. One spouse is revisiting something that was said or done in anger from years ago, and it has never been resolved. And they just get in this cycle, and it comes up every time they have an argument. And the weight just keeps piling on as something new is added. They're not dealing with what has been said or done in anger. You have to own it. I have to own it. The relationship will never be free to grow and change until we own this. Deal honestly with your anger. Just a sidebar quickly. If you, you know, there's a way to be righteous in your anger. Be very strategic with your anger. I think sometimes we get so into petty things that we overreact to things that just suffocate the relationship. Be very careful to only get worked up about something when truly God has led you to do it. Uh, many times we start nitpicking on minor things that really don't matter, minor differences. We're wasting anger. We're infusing too much anger in the relationship because of that. And so let those little things go. Be very careful in how you deal with anger. All right, thirdly, a couple more here and we're done. Communicate in ways that are wholesome. Often we are more worried about what we want than what the other person needs. Um, and that could be in words. That could be in other ways that we communicate in our body language. But we're communicating focused more on what we want than what the other person needs. Do you know what wholesome words are? Do you know what wholesome communication means? It is others-focused and it is others-directed. Am I saying this in a way that's going to bless, that's going to give life to my spouse, that's going to refresh and encourage, maybe challenge, but in a positive, constructive way? Am I speaking wholesome words? Uh, we have to seek that. We have to strive for that with our tongue and with our mouths, making sure uh, that we're communicating in a wholesome manner. Uh, next, run to your God-given resources. Um, this would involve, run to your God-given resources. This would involve being open with your relationship to others that God has put in your life. I think a lot of times we're trying to do marriage just on our own. Um, and, and we just go home and deal with our marriage, just the two of us. We're not tapping into other relationships that God has given us. Um, our marriage is never meant to exist in isolation. Um, I notice this, don't you, with new couples? They get married or they're in love and like the whole world could be burning around them and they're just lost in each other's eyes, whether they got Michigan and Ohio State sweatshirts on or not. But they're just, they're just lost in each other. That's not a mature marriage, is it? That's not a grounded marriage. A marriage is meant to be interacting and blessing and ministering to others, starting with your own kids and grandkids, but in the church. And oftentimes we're not, we're not tapping into those resources for encouragement and challenge and counsel that help our marriage reach its full potential. And so I encourage you to be faithful. I know I'm preaching in the choir tonight, but being in church tonight, sitting next to your spouse, if you're able to do so, that, that's a good move on your part. That, that's something that God will bless. Don't ever underestimate that uh, in your relationship with one another and before the Lord. Uh, and so we need uh, to be connected, not just to community and our family, but also in the local church. The most vibrant marriages are the ones lived out in local church community, period. Uh, so we'd be faithful to that as God gives us opportunity. All right, a couple more. Resist the lies of the enemy. The, these are a couple more that kind of push back against mishandling these differences or being uh, ungracious with these differences. Resist the lies of the enemy. Um, here are the two ones I hear all the time in my own ear that you may hear as well. Number one is, it's not your fault. Do you hear that in your head a lot in heart? I'm not the one at fault right now. They're the one being different. And by different, you mean that in a judgy way. That, that is not a message from God by and large. There may be a rare exception to that. 
And number two is this. Not only is it not your fault, you guys are stuck. There's no resources. There's no wisdom. There's no way to get out of this. Just who you are. That's a lie from the devil, to settle for less than what God intended for your marriage. And so fight against that in your head. Fight against that narrative and conversation that's directed your way. Your marriage is not being done on a playground. It's on a battlefield. You're in a war. There's an enemy that hates your marriage and wants to divide and conquer you. See it for what it is. Do so with soberness. All right, two more. Focus upon creating something new. This is the positive side of this. Focus on creating something new. Um, Your home and your marriage should not be you trying to just steer everything to your preferences. Okay, I'm trying to convince him or her to do it my way. And basically what you're doing is trying to steer it toward old hat or what's familiar to you. Could it be God brought you together with your spouse to start and create something new? Those of us who God has blessed us with children or grandkids. Isn't that an amazing thing? Uh, others are yearning for that and praying for that. There's something about two people coming together and creating something new, and even the differences between contribute to that. God never intended your life to, to be you trying to tilt everything your direction. He wants it to become one flesh where people can't even imagine the two of you apart because of the new thing He's creating in the two of you. That's the agenda. That's His purpose. Not to make her like you or him like you, but to take both of you in a whole new direction. Uh, Last verse. Go to Matthew 18. And this verse I love as it speaks to, in the immediate context, the local church, but obviously two spouses, a husband and wife, are a part of that body. Matthew chapter 18. And I've mentioned this before, but this is a verse that Heidi and I regularly are convicted by and inspired by. Matthew 18 and verse 19, we see here Christ speaking and Peter, the author of the chapter we just wrote a, read a moment ago that wrote that on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, probably heard these words. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall grin earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And Heidi and I have been often convicted by that, whether it was during the adoption phase, which to be honest with you was largely her calling prior to even us getting married. She felt called to participate in that. Um, And God stirred in my heart in that direction as well. Uh, The planting of this church and other new things that God has done through us. And I don't know what's next for us, but if we can stick this out and if we can appreciate the differences, what new things can God do through Heidi and I? And I ask you the same question. What are some new things? It's not just about getting along and trying to keep the peace and keep what I prefer in my past. What's new? For each of us at our season of life, if we would get this relationship right, what could God do with us and in other relationships as well? If two of you will agree on earth, that's a challenge. But if we will, notice he says, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. You're on earth agreeing, and God in heaven answers that. He responds to that. It's all about us being able to handle these differences as well. All right, lastly, humbly own your ongoing struggle. Humbly own your ongoing struggle. There will never be a point in your marriage where you can lay back, you can lay down, you can just coast. As long as you're in marriage between two sinners, you're going to struggle. Own that, admit that, acknowledge that, and lean into God's grace and strength to be able to deal with what He has allowed. So the question is this, what if instead of squandering God's mercy with your victim mindset, instead you strategically tap into the unique hues and tones of God's grace that are discovered in the midst of marital differences. All right, I want to show you this last picture. I talked about this once before, but this is a picture of Patch the Pirate, if you're familiar with him, Ron Hamilton, his wife, Shelly. And Ron is currently uh, battling, it seems like, some of the final stages of onset dementia. Uh, He's not an old man. He's a younger man. um, And yet this has happened to him. And Shelly the other day posted this, and it, I think, speaks to where we would like to land if we can. She said this as she's navigating what her husband, Ron, who's now in an assisted care facility, and they have very little interaction on a day-to-day basis of meaningful connection. She said this, about 15 years ago, about 15 years into our marriage, Ron began telling me that I was his best friend. He told, this, he told me this often. Now, I, now he can mostly only communicate with me with his eyes and his touch, but his words continue to echo in my mind. Sadness and happiness are a chaotic mix in my heart. 
Why didn't I appreciate this wonderful medal of honor more? Why didn't I enjoy our moments together more? Tears are flowing down my face as I reminisce. All is well. No need to worry about my mental state. These remembrances are good for the soul. And then she said this. The status of best friend is a coveted one and should not be taken for granted. As I think upon it, how could I have been blind and ignorant of its implications? Ron was a faithful husband for certain. He was always the same gentle and sweet temperament. He was the physical rock for our family. He even remembers special anniversaries. I'm ashamed to admit more than I did. Then why did I sometimes get upset for him for being a saver when I wanted to spend? Why did I focus on him being stubborn when I wanted uh, to be flexible and impulsive? Why did I not appreciate his healthy eating habits when I wanted to indulge in sweets? I can't even think of one good reason. Now that he can't save his own money, can't control where he goes, and can't even control what he eats. And then she gives this loving admonition. My friends, be careful what you think about your close loved ones, especially your husband or wife. Focus on the reason you married them in the first place. Don't heap coals of fire on their heads because of their faults. I'm fully aware that some of you wish you still had your soulmate to appreciate, but numerous unfortunate circumstances make this impossible. And she ends with this. So while you can, make your spouse your best friend. You'll never be sorry. Differences are glorious things. And best friends see differences differently. I want to encourage you to view it through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of these passages we've looked at tonight. See, immature relationships pretend or wish they could, they could agree on everything. Mature ones embrace and even celebrate those same differences. May God help us tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word.